Salut! From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Thanks so much for joining us. I know that this is a busy time of year, so we really appreciate you tuning in. Well, coming up today, a special edition of Washington Watch. Over the last two years, you'd be hard-pressed to uh, to watch a cable news program where you have not heard this term used as a source of derision toward Christians who are engaged politically and culturally. Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. Violent Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. White Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. What does it mean? What's the history of the term and why is it being used? Those are some of the questions that we'll answer today as we revisit some informative interviews with experts experts on the topic from this past fall. We'll join. Uh, we'll be joined first by FRC's David Clawson, the director of our Center for Biblical Worldview. And then we'll take you back to a special town hall meeting that we had on the topic of Christian nationalism, where former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman joined me along with uh, Dr. Stephen Coughlin of Unconstrained Analytics. We'll also talk with Dr. Mark David Hall, author and professor from George Fox University. Then we'll go to Regent University and talk to Professor A.J. Nolte. So a lot of ground to cover today. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, it's all archived right there. In fact, great place to send your friends and family if they'd like to learn more about this term Christian nationalism. Well, this phrase uh, picked up a lot of attention following the lawless storming of the U.S. Capitol last year on January the 6th. Not surprisingly, when this year's primary election season got underway, the left started bringing back the phrase, and they were pinning it on Christians who engaged in the political process and worked to shape public policy in line with biblical principles. I guess that would make our founding fathers Christian nationalists. Well, to start off today's special edition of Washington Watch, we're going to turn to to the conversation that I had earlier this year with FRC's David Clawson on this topic. According to an article published last week by the Associated Press, Christian nationalism is on the rise in some GOP campaigns. That's a quote. What's one example that the AP gave of this? Well, it's the way that the Republican governor candidate, Doug Mastriano, in Pennsylvania, made faith central to his personal story and has woven conservative Christian beliefs and symbols into his campaign. Again, those are quotes. The AP noted how Mastriano, uh, after winning Pennsylvania's Republican gubernatorial primary last month, opened his victory speech by invoking scripture. This is what he said. 1 Corinthians 1.27 gives us all hope. God uses the foolish to confound the wise and the weak to confound the strong, right? That's his story. And he uses people like you and me to change history. I always like to say when we make his story our story, we can change history. So that is a picture of Christian nationalism. With me now to talk about this is David Clawson, the director of FRC Center for Biblical Worldview. David, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tony. All right, for those that are not familiar with the term Christian nationalism, Let's try to define it, because, frankly, I'm not sure the left even has a definition of it. They just think it sounds bad, and so they use it. But what is the closest definition that we can get of Christian nationalism? Yeah, I think this is an important question, because really, Tony, there is no agreed-upon definition of Christian nationalism, even among uh, the scholars who look at this. 
Most people would agree, though, that to start with nationalism, nationalism is means loyalty and devotion to one's country. Uh, but then when you add that moniker uh, Christian nationalism, what people usually mean by that is uh, that you, someone is really kind of conflating their Christian identity with their American identity. Uh, so properly understood, the way I understand Christian nationalism, Tony, is that someone was really kind of giving an exaggerated, maybe a transcendental meaning uh, to their American citizenry and their Christian identity. The problem is, though, Tony, uh, when the secular news media uses that, that's not actually what they're referring to. What they're really referring to is just any Christian engaging in politics. So even though there's no definition of Christian nationalism that everyone agrees on, it's clear, though, that the left has an agenda with the use of this kind of uh, nefarious-sounding kind of phrase. Yeah. All right. So to, 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 to get a cultural definition, let, let me go to um, the view. All right. I think um, of anything that is reflective of our debased culture, it would be the view. And uh, Tara's I, I think I've, I've never watched it, so I have no idea. But Tara Setmeyer, um, this was her comments uh, last week. Uh, I think it was. Uh, kind of defining Christian nationalism. Play clip number eight. It's part of the Christian nationalism, this yes. rise in violent Christian nationalism that we have seen, which yeah. is also disturbing, because they find it to be, they use biblical principles, yeah. they pervert them to justify this, which is another problem, particularly in Texas. This is a growing movement. It's God, guns, and Trump, or but God, guns, always, and whatever. It's, it's always part of their this. ethos. Okay. Uh, that's about as clear as mud. But th the reality is what they're saying is Christian biblical principles. And now I don't know. It's interesting how they throw in these terms, violence, and then Texas. What, what she was actually talking about, I believe, was the Texas pro-life laws that have been passed based upon biblical principles. So I'm left based upon the way this term has been used. I'm left with the assumption, understanding that their real issue is Christians who engage in the political process and work to shape public policy in line with biblical principles. So, in other words, to say that if you're a Christian, your worldview has to be left outside. But my secular worldview, based upon humanism, based upon philosophy, I'm free to advocate my views but you, because it's based on scripture, you're a Christian nationalist and you can't use that. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening, Tony. And again, there's no properly uh, agreed on definition among academics. But when it is properly used kind of in academia, it really refers to someone who's, again, conflating their American and Christian identity. Uh, someone who might think that America is the new Israel uh, that America right. has been an outsized uh, place and God's which is wrong, plans, which, which is which wrong. I disagree there, with. I there, disagree there with some people. Right. Some people maybe in the January 6th riot when you saw uh, the cross or the Christian flag being used. That's wrong. But again, that's not what's happening here in these articles that appeared over the weekend. What they're going after, Tony, is anyone who is invoking biblical principles. So for those of us who would say that as Christians, we are pro-life and we're motivated in part because of our convictions on what the Bible teaches uh, about life, we're Christian nationalists. So again, the way the media is using this is trying to cast all Christians as somehow subversive 
nefarious and how maybe we can't be trusted. And again, I think the, the, what the media is trying to do, Tony, and it's really shown in the examples they gave over the weekend of the candidate in Pennsylvania, by just invoking Christian principles, by quoting scripture, somehow you shouldn't be trusted uh, with uh, the ability to make public policy. And so it's, it's a sleight of hand that the media is doing, trying to paint with a broad brush. Anyone who's a Christian uh, is somehow dangerous and should be kept far out of politics. That's what they're doing. And, and the goal, the goal is to further marginalize Christianity, marginalize and silence those who would bring their faith into the public square. So here is um, the remedy, is that more Christians need to run for office. More Christians need to speak up and advocate for biblical principles and public policy. When the enemy attacks something like this, and, and look, um, this is we see this from a spiritual standpoint. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual. There is, look, when you see children being killed in classrooms and in the womb of their mothers, you know evil abounds, and it's abounding in this country. And as I was talking with Colonel North about earlier, it's because we've rejected God. Well, if we're going to turn this country around, and, and I tell you what, the hour is late, the only way is if Christians will stop being passive and start being bold and proclaiming truth and advocating for that truth and carrying that truth into every sector of society, whether it be education, whether it be politics, uh, whether it be entertainment, uh, starting right in our home, teaching it to our children, countering the cultural garbage that our children are being indoctrinated with. I mean, look, the hour is late, as I said, and it is time for if, if, if they want to call me a Christian nationalist, you know, if, if that's I don't care what you call me. I don't care what you call me. Uh, and I think that's the attitude we have to have as Christians. Look, we're going to we're going to align ourselves with Scripture. We're going to speak truth. We're going to speak it in love, but we're going to speak the truth. Nonetheless, call us what you want. You know, if we have to recite the old the old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Whatever it takes, we just have to have a resolve that we're going to stand for truth in this hour. Yeah, well said, Tony. Christian faith propels public witness, and Jesus calls us to be light and salt. And the famous theologian Augustine famously said that those of us who follow Jesus are citizens of the city of God, and we're called to be citizens of the city of man. And so, again, as Christians, the way one of the again, second great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And so as Christians, we are compelled uh, to enter public life out of love for our neighbor. And so, again, uh, this time right. around, the media is going to call us Christian nationalists. We need to not worry about what they call us. We need to fear God, not man, and be faithful to what he's called us to do. Now, I do want to go back to, to some of the elements you laid out that, that would define Christian nationalism or any type of nationalism where you put your country before the kingdom. Right. And, and that's problematic. Uh, as, as Augustine said, we're first, we're citizens of the kingdom of God, uh, the city of God. And then, then our allegiance is to the country in which God has placed us. There's nothing wrong with being patriotic towards your country based upon the priorities, God first, uh, and then our allegiance to our family and to our country. Nothing wrong with that. But if we conflate the two, as you said, and I know that there, there has been uh, a view, especially in times past, that uh, America was the new Israel. That's not the case. 
Um, you know, I just I don't see it. It's not biblical. That does not mean that we're not a covenantal nation built upon biblical principles where our founders understood those those biblical principles that if we honor God, put him first, that he would bless us. He took the prom- we they took the promises of Israel, which are universal in many ways. It's the natural laws of God. And they put them into place. We don't need to make apologies for that. No, we don't, Tony, and you're absolutely right. Christian principles is what this country was founded on. And I would also add uh, the Christian understanding of being made in the image of God, that really is the grounding for uh, human rights and understanding uh, how we should treat other people. Uh, Limited government finds its roots in in Christian principles of the kind of the separation of of different spheres. Um, Those are things we should acknowledge that are really important to the founding of this country. But, you know, and I don't think there are many people, Tony, that are true Christian nationalists. There are some, you find them on the Internet, who will say that Christians ought to be given a privileged place in society and that certain minorities, uh, religious minorities, need to be excluded. Uh, We would be against that. And again, I think almost an overwhelming 99.9% of Christians in this country would reject teaching like that as unbiblical. But again, that's why it's so important to, to go back to God's word and to define our terms and not let the left get away with painting with a broad brush that it seeks to sideline all faithful Christian witness from the public square. That was FRC's David Clawson earlier this year talking about Christian nationalism. And you're listening to a special edition of Washington Watch, highlighting some of the discussions I had this past election season regarding the left's use, or should I say misuse, of the phrase. After the break, you'll hear from the speakers who joined us in October for a special town hall event that we held on the issue. You won't want to miss that conversation, so stick around. We're back with more Washington Watch after this. After the long election season our nation just went through, many Americans are ready to shift their focus to celebrating with their loved ones. But at Family Research Council, we know that this is perhaps the most dangerous time of the year for our shared values, thanks to Congress's lame duck session. Long before the elections, we began preparing for this moment when we knew leftists and squishy Republicans in Congress would use the distraction of the holidays to push through legislation that undermines biblical principles. You have helped us accomplish so much in 2022, and through your timely gift, you can help us prepare to counter the left's agenda and seize opportunities in front of us in 2023. Join FRC by texting GIVE to 67742 and your gift will have double the impact thanks to a generous challenge match. This holiday season, we must remain vigilant. Partner with FRC by texting GIVE to 67742 so we can continue advancing biblical values. Attention university students. Are you looking to be equipped as a Christian leader and to influence the culture from a biblical worldview? Join us at Family Research Council for our internship program. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, you will grow personally and professionally. This paid 12 to 15 week program is designed to give you real world experience and to prepare you for wherever God calls you. Apply today at frc.org internships. Persecution of Christians is growing globally and becoming more aggressive every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares stories from those who have faced religious persecution and takes a close look at the tragic circumstances Christians often face due to threatening opposition to their faith. 
the book's true stories of real perseverance and devotion offer encouragement and hope. Heroic faith also provides insights into the ideologies behind the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the plight of these faithful believers. It is important for us to learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ who suffer deeply and do what we can to help them. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. With FRC's Stand Firm app, you will have access to all of our content right at your fingertips. The Stand Firm app provides you with a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and Washington Stand articles. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that matter to you. Visit the App Store on your mobile device and search Stand Firm to download FRC's Stand Firm app. Welcome back to this special edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Our culture in the lame duck Congress are working to undermine and silence biblical values in the public square. But no matter how dark our world may get, you can count on the Family Research Council to shine the light of truth and to speak that truth with love. As 2022 draws to a close, let me ask you if you would consider partnering with us to help us in our mission to help believers stand for the Word of God and for our freedoms in 2023 and beyond. Now, thanks to a special year-end challenge match by Friends of FRC, your gift will have double the impact if received before December 31st. So to join us and to partner in this effort, give us a call, 800-225-4008. That's 800 800- Two two five four zero zero eight, or you can visit TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com or 800-225-4008. We'd love to hear from you. Today, we are highlighting the issue of Christian nationalism and why the left has been using that phrase. It's almost like the left held a meeting and were given marching orders to say Christian nationalism as often as possible. Well, back in October, FRC, together with Regent University, organized a town hall meeting at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, to discuss the rise of the term. Now, just before the event, I sat down with three of the guests for that evening, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, former intelligence officer Stephen Coughlin, and professor of politics Dr. Mark David Hall. And we talked about what's driving the left to use the term. Here's that conversation. Stephen, what, 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 what's driving this? What are they using it for? Well, to pick up on a line you brought up earlier, I think they actually did decide they were going to uh, target uh, uh, pa- normally patriotic Christian Americans. And what they did was they created a faux term, Christian nationalism, and they gave it all these negative attributes and then used that to attack Christians. It's part of what you call an intersectional line of attack and a political warfare model, which is the Maoist insurgency model which we believe is the premier principal form of well, that would Well, and that's what's driving the left today. I mean, we've, I've watched this. Michelle, I know you have as well. In my 20 years here at the Family Research Council, we went from having liberals like Chris Matthews. He used to go on hardball and debate him all the time. You don't see conservatives going on MSNBC uh, because they're not liberals. They're leftists, and they don't want to have a discussion. And, and, Michelle, a lot of this is about political elections. I mean, what's 
I mean, why all of a sudden this intense focus on Christian nationalism right before an extremely important midterm election? Because it all comes about holding on to power. That's what it's about. There's only one party power now in the United States, in Washington, D.C. They don't want to let it go. That's it. Bottom line, they want to hold on to power. And what they have seen is the power of the church. The epicenter of power in the United States opposing their agenda is the church and the principles of the Bible. They don't like pastors preaching on issues. They don't like congregants being inspired from the Bible. And so that's why we're the target. They want to silence us. So this isn't some big academic thing. And Mark David Hall, Dr. Hall, is going to be talking about the research and how phony baloney a lot of the research is on this topic out there. But it's all designed to give a veneer of credibility that what they're saying is true. And I think what we're going to be demonstrating tonight, what they're saying is hogwash. And so we need to not be intimidated as believers. We need to pray, vote, stand. And having done all, stand. I think I've heard you say yes, that. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> it works, doesn't it? Uh, Dr. Hall, I want to ask you this question going back to kind of the definition because I've uh, – I'm used to the to the left's tactics, the Marxist tactics of labeling to the purpose. I mean, this actually goes back to the rules for radicals. They do the same yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look like what happened just recently, about two weeks ago in Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, who is running for governor there, uh, called upon his supporters to pray and fast for 40 yeah. days. Yeah. Now. Yeah been a part of a lot of prayer and fasting events. In fact, even when I was in office and a candidate, I did the same thing. Well, the media, some of the media, responded immediately saying, evidence that he is a Christian nationalist. Well, that would actually put a lot of the leaders in the history of this country into the category of Christian nationalist. Throughout American history, Christians at their best have brought their faith into the public square to fight for liberty and justice for all in creating just colonial laws in opposing slavery and promoting civil rights. I mean, think about the leaders of the civil rights movement, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., Ralph Abernathy, Andrew Young, on and on they do. Now, what goes on here is a a bit of labeling, because even the critics, even the better academic critics of Christian nationalism will will say it's perfectly fine for the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. to bring his faith into the public square to advocate for civil rights. But if you dare to bring your faith in the public square to oppose abortion or to argue for a conception of religious liberty that goes beyond freedom of worship, you're a sexist or a bigot. That's an evil sort of Christian nationalism that yeah. must be oppressed. I throw this out for anyone. Uh, my observation is that the intensity of this began to ramp up over the issue of human sexuality. When the redefinition of marriage came, then there seemed to be have to be a clear line made, and anyone who dare take on that issue had to be eliminated, had to be silenced. And I think that's where we've really seen the intensity of this, because these things for people who actually believe the Bible, they're non-negotiable. It's not It's not our truth. It's God's truth. And we have to, as I was just talking with Pastor Gary, we have to come in alignment with the Word. We don't make the Word of God come in alignment with us. But I think, especially on this issue with sexuality of a genderless society, that's the move right now. We're going to have a genderless society, and you make up your own truth. This is the ultimate fabrication of truth, is to make up what your human sexuality is. So that is so bizarre, so over the top. We've never seen this kind of a conversation before. And so for that reason, 
they need to make us look like we're the oddballs. This is weird. This is bizarre to say that we're a genderless society. And so for us talking about what has been normative for 5,000 years of human history, they ha they're working overtime to make us look like we're the bizarre ones. Right. I, I want to go to the issue of this is creating a void and a vacuum in chaos. Something always fills that. In your study of Marxism and your study of uh, essentially political warfare, where does this lead? Well, I think what we're seeing right now is a phrase that is popular in my circle. It's called liquefying reality, where they're at the point of a demoralization campaign where people can no longer understand. They're happy that people who want to talk about genderless society will do it. What they really call the victory is people who know it's not true and will still say it. The demand that two plus two equals five. And that's the imposition of will on people. Stick around. More Washington Watch straight ahead. It is so important for God's children to spend time with Him in His Word. But at times, knowing where to start can prove difficult. And for some, creating a habit of reading the Word daily is even harder. That is why Family Research Council offers their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily, so you can understand the nature of God, how His Word speaks into cultural issues, and grow closer to Him. We know that the Word of God is rich, for it is written that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. And so it is important for believers to read the Word and apply it to everyday life. God's Word is powerful, but we don't have to be overwhelmed or intimidated at the thought of reading it. We can explore the Word with other believers so that we may better understand it and be transformed by it together. Join us by signing up today to get the daily passages and questions. Just go to frc.org Bible. In today's culture, men need a battle plan, a call to biblical manhood, where they can be reminded of God's design for them to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Curtin's new book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan for men on how to take on their God-given responsibility in a culture swiftly turning away from God's design. The authors present the Old Testament book of Joshua and his leadership as the focus of their study, asking readers to consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. Now is the time for men to take on their role in the family and society and truly live out their God-given purpose. To purchase your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us for this special edition of Washington Watch. And remember, you can help FRC equip Christians to shine the light of truth in this ever-darkening culture in which we live. You can partner with us financially by simply giving us a call, 800-225-4008, or visit TonyPerkins.com. We've got friends that have put forward a challenge match, and your impact can be doubled. So call us, 800-225-4008. Today we're highlighting the issue of Christian nationalism and why the left has been using that phrase. Now, in the last segment, I shared the conversation that I had with three of our guests 
who were a part of our town hall event in October that was organized by FRC and Regent University. We'll pick back up from my follow-up question to former intelligence officer Stephen Coglin, who talked about how the left is fabricating truth and driving to the fringe anyone who might oppose their fabrication in order to impose their will on the people. Now, this sounds like what happened with COVID, doesn't it? I thought so, too. Well, we actually put something out warning. We got to the National Security Council warning that the narrative on COVID was completely severable from COVID itself. And within the narrative on COVID, it enforced what we call Marxist mass line enforcement narratives. The word mass line comes from Mao. And that right down the line, we were able to call the election a year ahead. We had something out that it was the whole radical summer was going to start in Minnesota before that thing was started because we could... We can, we can see what they're saying, and we can see where they're going, and we can forecast what they're doing. They're that predictable, but we have to make a decision to put aside our college-educated, ed- taught political science narratives, which I think are designed to create a scientific language or pseudoscientific language that overwrites what people are seeing and redefine it. So were you encouraged at all by – it took a little while to get some traction, but there was some strong pushback to – and I'm talking about COVID in particular, because I do think that was kind of a test run for the left. There was a lot of pushback against that. And it tells me that our society as a whole has not picked up and is not waving the white flag. I don't think people have given up at all. I think people have to remember that what's going on right now is Republicans have won the election on the issue that is what the what people here come to, come to vote for. It's the people we elect who will not execute that when it happens, when they win, even if they win big. So I don't think it's a problem of the masses. I get to Minnesota. My mother-in-law died. She's from Minnesota. If you went one step outside of Minneapolis, all you saw was Trump flags. It's all you saw. And I am one of those people who wonders whether Ellison ever won that election. And I think that that might want to be one of those states where that was an early. So you're a denier. Well, I am a. No, another one, I'm just picking. Yes. That's another one. That's a little. You don't. You haven't been around me enough, so you don't. You didn't pick up on that. That that's the. That's the labeling. Absolutely. That's the labeling. But that's because then of, you, I think that's part of the confusion campaign, and I think the I think Romans one really speaks to this: the fact that we are swimming in a sea of lies right now in America, and have been through COVID. Right. I think that's what you're talking about. That's a test run for right. lies, where you lie and lie and lie to people, and once you believe the lie and you spout the lie yourself. Then you move into delusion. Right. That's what the scripture says. So that's we have a lot of cognitive dissonance within the church, I think, even. You're, you're absolutely right. I think it goes back to the issue of the lack of courage when you know the truth, but you're afraid to say the truth. And that's where pastors come in. That's where pastors and the church come in, because you need to put a stake in the ground for what truth is and not deviate it. And so we have to keep our heads about us as believers, right. I think. Well, and, and going back, and, I, you know, again, I was picking on that issue of the election, but there's a lot of evidence out there to show that there was a manipulation of the election process, whether it would be the, the boxes that Mark Zuckerberg 
you know, put in. Uh, but there's there's legitimate questions to be raised. And in a republic such as ours, you have to be free to you ask questions to. And, and answer. And Regent University was the first university that did an election integrity seminar to question what just right. happened in 2020. So if anyone wants to see it, it's regent.edu forward slash election integrity. It's fantastic. It is seven hours of evidence immediately out of the gate where people came in and gave affidavits and all the rest about the fact that things weren't kosher on this election. And remember, that's when people were being thrown off Twitter. Right. They were thrown right, off right. Facebook. They were losing their jobs, if you remember, if you questioned. If you reframe how to look at that election, and, I, and we did reframe it before the election to say that the Marxist left was going to use the uh, a critical race theory, which is critical race, which is Marxism, to delegitimize the election. The fact remains that no matter what you personally think about that election, when you can show, I think now a majority of people have questions about that election. The very fact that the elected people will not do a real right. investigation is itself the actual victory, the delegitimization of the electoral process in the face of a public who knows something's wrong. So what do you do when you have the media that buys that and goes along with that and so that the, the, the platforms by which we use to have these conversations as a nation are basically, as you said, shut off, Michelle, mm -hmm. when you have Twitter, Facebook removing people. So what happens at that point? Well, I think Christian nationalism is a part of that because I think that it is a national smear campaign so that we are quiet, so that we self-censor, right. so we don't speak to keep the church silent. If the church silent is silent, the left wins, the progressive wins, Satan wins if the church is silent. And that's why we have to keep our heads about us and tell the truth. That was former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman just before our town hall event back in October entitled The Rise of the Term Christian Nationalism. And this is a special edition of Washington Watch. Today we're broadcasting some of the conversations that I've had on the issue of Christian nationalism. After the break, we'll highlight my conversation with Professor A.J. Nolte of Regent University, whose dissertation work was on what could be called Muslim nationalism. What was the conclusion of that dissertation, and what can we draw from it? Stay tuned to find out. Today, there are countless news outlets and so much opposing information. It can be hard to find a source you can really trust. This is why Family Research Council created the Washington Stand, FRC's online news platform with a goal to provide readers with honest, free, and timely news stories and commentaries, all from a biblical worldview. The Washington Stand is based in Washington, D.C., with a team of reporters who provide reliable information on the top issues of the day, they cover breaking news on the biggest Supreme Court decisions, share critical stories in public education, give updates on the state of religious liberty domestically and abroad, and more. The Washington Stand was created to keep you and your family informed on events that are affecting faith, family, and freedom. Stay informed and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. Again, that's WashingtonStand.com. 
Are you a university student or do you know a university student? One looking to be equipped as a Christian leader and to learn how to promote faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture? Join us at Family Research Council for our 12 to 15 week internship program. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, you will grow in personal and professional development. You will have the opportunity to work in a variety of departments with positions ranging from policy to communications, allowing you to gain real-world experience working directly with our experts. FRC seeks to guide interns in pursuing careers of influence so they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to grow in community and experience the city. Take the next step in your professional journey and have the experience of a lifetime. Visit FRC.org internships to apply. When persecution comes, will you be prepared to stand? Throughout Scripture, believers are told that they should expect to be persecuted. In John, Jesus warns his disciples that if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. With that knowledge, Christians shouldn't live in fear, but they ought to prepare their hearts to stand faithfully in the face of trials. Most Christians in the U.S. feel far removed from the threat of persecution, but Pastor Andrew Brunson knows persecution well. In October 2016, Brunson was held for two years in Turkish prisons after being falsely accused of terrorism. After a worldwide prayer movement and significant political pressure from the U.S. government, he was released in October 2018. And since then, Andrew has taken up the call to urge Christians in the West to prepare for hostility. Brunson led an eight-part video series titled Prepare to Stand to help fellow believers. Watch this important series by going to frc.org slash prepare to stand. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. Today, special program focusing on Christian nationalism. But before we go back to the uh, to our next guest, I, I, I want to ask you to consider supporting FRC, partnering with us to help shine the light of truth in the darkening culture in which we live. Because of some generous friends of FRC, we have a challenge match that, in effect, what you give will be doubled if you give before the end of the year. If we have folks standing by to take your call, simply give us a call at 800 800- Two two five four zero zero eight. That's eight hundred two two five four zero zero eight. Again, we uh, we don't get any government money. Like uh, unlike NPR, we don't get that government money. We don't have advertisers. We just have folks like you that care about this country and care about the truth going out. And so we need your support if we're going to continue. Again, call us eight hundred two two five four zero zero eight or visit tonyperkins.com. Now, we've been playing some of the conversations I've had in recent months regarding the term Christian nationalism and how and why the left has been using it. Now, to close out today's special edition, we're going to turn to an interview I did with Dr. Andrew Nolte, an assistant professor at Regent University, whose dissertation focused on the relationship between political Islam and high modernism in the state formation process of Turkey and Indonesia. I had him on the program after two academics in an op-ed in the Washington Post accused FRC of working to promote Christian nationalism in the United States in our own government through our policy objectives. Well, here is our conversation. So before I jump into the topic of Christian nationalism, you mentioned it last time, but I, I, I want people to know 
why you have a little bit of background and understanding of faith and nationalism. Talk a little bit about that uh, dissertation. Yeah, thanks. So I actually, my, my dissertation work is on political Islam, so not necessarily on the Christian side, um, but was looking at nation and state building projects in a couple of Muslim majority countries. And the two I focused on were Indonesia and Turkey. And part of the reason I focused on those two countries is because I was interested in religion and politics. And the way those two nationalist movements um, handled religion was very, very different. So the Turks basically tried to shut it all down and and privatize religion, actually, which they sort of got from the French um, and the French idea of, of laicite or extreme secularism. Indonesia said, we're going to be nationalists, but we're going to be nationalists that, that base it on religion and, and faith in general. It's a Muslim-majority country, um, but they actually ended up with um, multiple different types of, of religious establishments. So that gave me a pretty good background in looking at the difference between religious nationalism, non-religious nationalism, and all the different ways that that could, could play itself out. So as that, with that as a framework... Where do we see what's happening in the United States or the history of the United States fit into that? So I think to do that, and you, you mentioned in the, in the run-up to this, defining Christian nationalism is really hard. So what I would do is this. I would, I would start by saying, what is religious nationalism in general? Okay, um, And probably the cleanest example um, that's not going to be super controversial for, for a U.S. audience would be looking at religious nationalism in India. Okay, so religious nationalists in India, Hindu nationalists, will argue that Hinduism is the core expression of Indian national identity. It is the thing that makes you an Indian. It's not ethnicity. Um, and if you're not a Hindu, in some sense, you're foreign. You're, you know, and so one of the criticisms, if you look at some of the religious freedom reporting of some of the Hindu nationalists, is they'll, they'll say Christ, uh, Christianity and Islam in India are foreign religions. Okay, So for something to be religious nationalism, what you're essentially saying is that the identity of the nation is defined by the religion and that – because nationalism is always the idea that a nation ought to have a state. So you're saying that definition ought to be – reflected in a way that sort of excludes those who are not of that religious community. So I'd want to see from Christian, for something to be Christian nationalism, I'd want to see number one, an idea that the nation is primarily or exclusively shaped by Christianity. And second, I would want to see you saying as a result of which there should be uh, sort of a supremacy for Christianity in law and reflected in the state. And while I I do see certainly a number of of arguments that America is a Christian nation, um, there's a lot of different definitions that are put into that. And I think it means different things to different people. Um, It's, it's, you know, and there's a lot of different definitions of that. And what I don't see from Christians in the United States is the idea that we should be excluding other religions. I think Christians in the United States have done more to argue for religious freedom around the world than almost anybody else. Yes. And in, 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 I've looked at India very closely in my role as the chairman of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom that I served on for four years. And what we see there is we see really the government turning a blind eye to the to the to the attack, persecution and, and some murder of uh, of non-Hindu individuals right. now. One of the distinctions and we have to say this, I think, up front, you made reference to it. It's not just Christianity in America that is open to 
people being able to choose their own path. That is the nature of Christianity. Yes. Is Christianity is different in that sense, in that we believe God gave us a choice whether or not we choose to follow him or not. And so we advocate for every human being to have a choice. Now, that doesn't mean all choices are equal in terms of their outcomes, but we do believe that every individual must make that choice for themselves. And so we fight for that opportunity for them to choose either right or wrong. But it doesn't mean that we feel like we should step back and not allow our biblically based ideas, our worldview, which we all have a worldview, some biblical, some not, that somehow our biblical worldview is um, is not appropriate to bring to the public square. And that's what I'm hearing those that are labeling Christians as Christian nationalists saying. And here's the irony. I think religious freedom is one of Christianity's greatest gifts to the world. It's an idea that is first expressed by Christian thinkers in the second century. It's an idea that's first expressed in law by a Christian emperor who, who signs the Edict of Milan, which is the first document that doesn't just say, I will tolerate your religion, but that actually says, you have a God-given right to practice your religion freely. Um, and so it is, it is an idea that comes out of Christianity, but that benefits all religions and those who have no religion. And the irony is that the very same people who are talking about Christian nationalism are at the same time trying to say that religious freedom is a kind of Christian special pleading. Um, and, you know, that they're, they're ignoring the degree to which religious freedom advocates have advocated but, for Muslims and Yazidis and others. Dr. Nolte, let me ask you this question. Those that is absolutely true that Christianity has given rise to freedom and people to make personal choices. Mm -hmm. But the very essence of Christianity, you, you cannot hollow out Christianity and the values and the virtues that, that it's built upon and still expect the same outcome. Right. Yeah. I, and so I think, Amer America yeah. embracing those Christian principles, and I've never, I don't advocate to say America is a Christian nation. America is a nation built on Christian principles, right. and those principles enable us as a nation to respect all people. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Um, as Christians, we have two mandates. We have the mandate to love God, we have the mandate to love our neighbor. Um, and I think you know, one of the things that I have done a lot here at Regent is research on the impact of Christianity. And any, any place you see Christians vibrantly living out their faith in the public sphere, what you tend to see is good things happening for Christians and non-Christians alike. Uh, so it's, it's beneficial yeah. for us, but it's also beneficial for everyone. That's right. But what, what I think the left is trying to do is, in fact, well, I'm not going to put words in their mouth. I'm going to kind of quote from them. But I, I was just reading, I mean, there's been a plethora of articles just in the last few days. I mean, they're just they're kind of ramping up mm -hmm. on Christian nationalism. This is by uh, Sarah Posner, and I, I've known she's been, she's a quote-unquote journalist. She, she loves to attack Christians. Um, but, but she says this. She says in her piece, uh, Christian Founding Mythology, Christian nationalists believe that God had a providential hand in America's founding. They contend that carrying out God's will, the founders intended America to be a Christian nation. Now, define that. As, I mean, I just kind of went through that. I think America was founded on Christian principles to have that influence, but not mm -hmm. formally a Christian nation with a, with a church state. That was very clear. Yeah. The founders actually took that concept from Scripture, the separation of church and state. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a little bit of base stealing. On the one hand, you're saying America had a Christian uh, founding. I think most Christians and, and most reputable historians that I've read would agree that there's a, a you just you don't get America as it exists without Christianity. That's just a, an obvious statement. But then saying the purpose of, of America is to create a Christian nation. That, I think, is is going a little bit further than most of us would actually be comfortable with, because, again, I think Christians rightly understand religious freedom as a value that, as, as Christians, we share and we want to promote. And we see government having its own realm of authority that God has mm-hmm. given to it, the family having its own realm, uh, and the church having its realm. Um and so that the government, the church does not lord over the government. The government should not lord over the church. They all have their individual realms. And the whole basis foundation is self-government based upon biblical truth. But I, I want to go to another assertion she made. She goes on to say, but the extent the government carries out its function, it should be done from a biblical worldview. Now, everyone has a worldview. They may not know it. They may not acknowledge it. But either you have a worldview as Christians, we believe God created the world and he set the rules and therefore we we order ourselves accordingly. And as Christians, we can't check our faith at the door. So we bring those viewpoints into the process by which we make our laws and we reach consensus. What the left is suggesting is that if you're a Christian, your worldview is invalid Therefore, you must check your faith at the door. Now, I don't hear them saying this to the radical secularists Mm -hmm. who are indoctrinating our children with all of this sexual ideology that they're pushing in our schools. One of two things is happening, and and sometimes both at the same time. One is that there's an implicit bias that says that only secular people can truly be pluralistic, um, which is, I think, historically false. Um, Some of the least pluralistic ideologies in history come from a secular background. The other possibility is that pluralism is really a fig leaf. Um, for, you know, sort of pushing, pushing that agenda. I'm not going to necessarily say that everybody who is, is secular is in the second camp where it's a fig leaf. I think that a lot of them generally, genuinely do not believe that you can have a, both a biblical worldview and a commitment to pluralism under the Constitution. I, I think that's, that's false. But there are certainly some people that are in that second camp where this, they're using the idea of pluralism and the belief people have this unconscious secular bias that says that only secular people can really be pluralistic. And they're using that to marginalize Christians. But, Dr. Nolte, do we not see this idea that there's no room in the public space for this biblical worldview or Christianity, that there is, in fact, and this is what has so many Christians, I think, at a point, they're they're pushed to the edge and they're saying, you know what, we can't be silent any longer. We have to speak up. There There is an effort to expunge from the public space any reference to God and biblical truth. And therefore, there's this idea that somehow there can be this moral neutrality or spiritual neutrality. And Jesus himself said, you know, either you're for me or you're against me. Do you gather with me or you scatter? And and so I think we had this uh, kind of... um, it, it wasn't a pure evangelical religion. It was a, it was a, it was a uh, an understanding that faith and the values that we derive from that faith was important in setting the guardrails and giving the the, the 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 guidance for our nation. And we coexisted, 
But now there's this effort to push that from the public debate. And I think that's why Christians are standing up and saying enough is enough. Yeah, I agree. I think that there is definitely um, a, a sort of and I saw this actually it was interesting. You mentioned my dissertation research at the beginning. One of the things I saw in Turkey is that they, the, the secular nationalists in Turkey would use the fear that the religious, the, the religious Muslims were going to sort of reemerge and, and take us, drag us back to the bad old days. They use that to sort of motivate people to follow their own policies. And what's been striking to me is I've been watching the secular discourse from the Handmaid's Tale outfits to the Christian nationalism. I'm seeing a lot of parallels to the mobilization of that fear of religion that you saw early in, in secular Turkey. I'm seeing a lot of parallels to that in the way the secular left is presenting now. But, in the but look, how did that work out? How did that work out for <laughs> Turkey? Not very well. And that was one of the conclusions of my dissertation is repressing religion actually just make, just creates religious extremism, religious freedom. Decre decreases religious uh, extremism. I think you are absolutely right. And I think you're onto something there. Because I think what they're doing by the persecution uh, and the isolation of Christianity in this country, trying to push it out of the public square, is they're, they're creating more friction and conflict in our country. Where, you know, let everybody have their ideas and bring them to the table and, 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 and have a point at which we reach consensus. That's yep. being short-circuited in this process by marginalizing and labeling. And Christian nationalism is one of those labels. And I think the way we respond as Christians to this, this fear-based attack on religion is to remember that perfect love casts out fear. So if their goal is to try to say, you know, to try to cast as extremists, then we respond with love. We respond, you know, forcefully in the public uh, square. But we put our ideas forward, uh, and we try to persuade, and we prove them wrong, uh, and we engage. That's right. And I, when we do so with confidence, standing on the truth of yeah. God's word, um, Dr. Nolte, always great to talk with you. Uh, thanks so much for taking time out to, uh, to join us today. Look forward to having some further conversations with you about these important topics. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was my conversation with Dr. A.J. Nolte of Regent University from a few weeks ago. And you've been listening to a special edition of Washington Watch, highlighting the issue of Christian nationalism and how and why the left has been using the term. If you missed any of it, you can find it all at TonyPerkins.com. Well, until next time, let me leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.